Hi, Chatbot AI agents. I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington. This is the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. This week, Romain Diet is here to talk to us all about Google's Live from Paris event. And then we dig more into how exactly Google is trying to join the conversational AI game with Devin Coldaway. But first, I'll go over this week's top stories in tech. Look, everything is chatbots. I don't make the rules, so we have to talk about it. Let's talk about chatbots in our new chatbot corner, which may or may not become a regular feature of the show. Quora has a new generative conversational chatbot app that lets users ask questions of a number of different ones, including OpenAI's ChatGPT. The company is treating it kind of like a public skunk works or testing ground to see when answers pass a quality barrier that allows them to move over to Quora proper. Considering some of the human answers on Quora, the bar can't possibly be all that high. Check out more on TC from Sarah Perez. Microsoft launched its own integration of ChatGPT with Bing, the search engine it does actually still maintain even if no one uses it. Bing with ChatGPT launched at a special event Microsoft held in Redmond earlier this week. Bing's ChatGPT integration is able to retrieve info that's current, unlike the OpenAI public version, which was limited to data from 2021 or earlier. Bing's app saw a 10x jump in downloads after the AI announcement. More on this from Frederick Lardinois on TechCrunch. Twitter had a big oopsie yesterday, reporting to just about everyone using the social network that they were over their daily limit for sending tweets. You can still schedule tweets to go out, even with just a minute delay, but all immediate posting was down. Twitter resolved the issues eventually, but many are interpreting it as a sign that the massive changes wrought by Elon Musk are beginning to break things. More on TC from Taylor Hatmaker. Our editor-in-chief, Matthew Panzerino, got to speak to two key Apple execs leading the company's Mac teams. The Apple leaders talked about how bringing their Mac chip development in-house has expedited the design and development process of new hardware. They also suggested that Apple's approach to gaming is a long-term vision that should eventually see top-tier games playable across all their machines. Be sure to read the full interview on TechCrunch. First up, Romain Diet comes on to talk about his experience at Google's Live from Paris event. Hi, Romain. How's it going? Hey, Daryl. I'm doing great here. Yeah, well, you are in Paris, I believe, right? Yes, I'm live from Paris, France, uh, the city of uh, Baguette and the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> uh, as always, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm based over here. Yes, that's right. I'm the one, the TechCrunch guy in France, that's me. <laughs> and there's no one else I'm reporting from the ground here and also writing about other stuff for TechCrunch. But usually yeah. when there's something happening here in France, I'm usually around. Yes, which is relevant because there was something happening there in France this week, which was... Yeah, yesterday. A Google AI event, a Google AI in search event, a general Google event. They talked about a lot of things, didn't they? Yeah, they called it live from Paris, which is probably, you know, the broadest way they could have phrased it. Yes. Indeed, it was live from Paris. It wasn't pre-recorded or anything. So a bunch of executives from Google's headquarters flew over to Paris to announce a few things around mostly artificial intelligence and a few product announcements as well. It was kind of a late, last-minute notice because we heard about the event over the weekend, so something like on on Sunday, if I remember correctly. And it was actually kind of a huge event, something like 200 journalists flew over to Paris, people from Israel, from Norway, from Germany. Not a lot of American in the room, I guess. Mm -hmm. Newsrooms relied on their European correspondence for this event. But many, many more people than expected. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm assuming, and we don't know, I guess, for sure, but I'm just, maybe like you talked to people there, but I'm assuming the notice we got was kind of normal. Like everybody else also got relatively short notice to come to this event, which maybe indicates why, you know, people were relying on local resources. We would have anyway, because, you know, Ramon is our best reporter in general, obviously. So Microsoft had an event too this week. And also we've heard a lot in recent weeks about Google's feeling kind of the pressure from OpenAI and ChatGPT. Do you think any of that factored into how this event came together and what it looked like? Yeah, I think there are two parts. There's what they announced, which I can talk about briefly, sure, and yeah. how they announced it. So maybe let's start with what they announced. Obviously, on Monday, everybody saw on Google's official blog that Sundar Pichai had a blog post about what they call BARD, which is a sort of chat-based artificial intelligence product for Google.com, for the, the search engine. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of a weird, broad announcement. It's not available now. It's only available for like limited set of users, only some partners and internal use cases. So basically, everybody was expecting to play around with the sort of chat GPT competitor, but there's nothing to see right now. Right. And they also announced at the event a couple of other things, some improvements for Google Translate, like more languages and the ability to see words in context, which is really helpful Mm. when you're trying to learn a new language. And some Google Maps improvement as well with new rollouts to new cities for their high fidelity sort of street view style maps, as well as some augmented reality features to get directions around new cities around the world. But obviously the main star of the show was Bard, Mm. the chatbot. And once again, it was pretty broad and we didn't learn that much. So that was kind of interesting that they through this whole show around Bard, but then they didn't have much to say about this product. Right. So obviously I can feel the pressure from Microsoft and OpenAI from this kind of event. And Google didn't come out of this event in a strong position, I feel like. No, I think also the market agreed with you based on stock performance immediately following. I think it dropped quite a bit. So people were like, that's what you came up with? Because I think that's where a lot of that pressure is coming from. And then based on their earnings calls and stuff, like analysts are like, what do you got going on? Because we see ChatGPT and there are people, I mean, I wrote about it too, I think very early, like it just feels like, oh yeah, this is probably the future of search. Like once you, there are huge problems that you have to overcome. Like the fact that it just spits back lies constantly. Like it has no inbuilt mm-hmm. checker for like, is this accurate or not? It's just like, sure, whatever. It sounds convincing, right? Yeah, that was pretty funny because even in the screenshot of the announcement on Google's website, there was a tiny factual error <laughs> asking about the first uh, photo a star that was outside of our own, or a planet actually, outside of our own solar system. And that was wrong. That was technically incorrect. So I think they're feeling this pressure as well, that there are so many potential issues with this kind of product that they have to get it right before they roll it out to, you know, like billions of people, basically. Yeah. And that's where we hear a lot when we like hear about what is going on between these two and why they appear to be moving slower than open AIs. Like they are concerned with the ethical implications of it and they are concerned with deploying it responsibly. And open AI is not so much, but I mean, they're very different. So it's kind of hard to compare them apples to apples because 
OpenAI is not aiming to replace search and they don't already have a customer base of billions and billions of people, right? But what's interesting about them is their initial mandate when they were first founded as a nonprofit was to like limit and prevent the harms that like artificial general intelligence will have on humanity. And now they're kind of doing the opposite of that in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Now they're like, we can make a lot of money with this. <laughs> so they changed the course drastically. And yes. I think I think it was Aaron Levy who tweeted earlier today that all tech companies, they wrote some ambitious roadmaps for 2023, like usually in late December or something like that. And now, like we are in February and everybody is basically scrapping everything and changing their roadmaps <laughs> because they're pretty scared of ChatGPT and how yeah. useful and also dangerous it can be. So everybody wants to have their own take on this kind of chat-based artificial intelligence. And it's pretty interesting. Even talking back about the event, when you go to Google's office in Paris, it's a beautiful... Is that where the event was held? At their Yeah, their yeah in, in their office. It's a beautiful old 19th century building and that they completely converted into a modern office when you step inside. So mm. it costs a lot of money. And I know that they actually bought the building. They're not simply renting the building. They bought the building. So when you enter this building, you're like, okay, this company has a ton of money. And they've managed to create a whole new market with search engines. And obviously, when you scratch below the surface, you feel like they've been working on artificial intelligence for something like five years. They've hired a lot of PhD researchers working on AI, but they don't have any actual useful products to show what you can do with this kind of generative AI right now. Right. Of course, they use AI to identify what's the content of a photo in Google Photos and stuff like that. Right. And in Translate, but those are very different. Those are very domain-specific. Yeah, right? generative AI, they don't have anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Unusual, you mentioned like they've been working on it for five years at least, right? Like this also feels weird in that it is a revisit of a hype cycle we've already seen. Like we saw everybody rushing to include and mention AI in earnings reports, in the roadmaps. Like, yeah, like probably five years ago or something, right? And then we've gone through this period where it fell out of favor, was replaced by things like Web3 and metaverse or whatever else, virtual reality. There's been a bunch of things in between. And now is back again. And to your point earlier about like they're scrapping their roadmaps, like I haven't heard anybody mention the metaverse. At, did you hear it at the event in Paris? <laughs> no, <laughs> no there, there was nothing like that. And I think five years ago, everybody was talking about AI because machine learning was still kind of new. And yeah. there were so many potential applications to machine learning. And you can already feel machine learning in every product that we use every day. But now we're talking about a whole new generation of products with generative content. Yeah. And I have to say it's quite impressive when, when you start using these products because you can see the potential and the limits and all the implications. And Google also can feel the implications. Mm -hmm. For instance, they kept saying that if people spend more time on Google and don't end up clicking on search results because they can chat with a chatbot, it's probably not going to be too bad because they keep sending more and more traffic every year to websites that people find through Google.com every year. Mm. Because Google's traffic is still growing year over year. Wow. But obviously, there's a chance that people 
will end up searching more, but not clicking as much. And right. they can see that there is a risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a huge fear, particularly for us, sites like us, like publishers, where it's like, well, we need you to arrive at our website in order to make money and be successful. But I guess their argument is like, if you looked at it in a graph, you would see the line of overall search trending up. So even if the line of like clickouts is reducing, it'll be reducing at a rate that is still a growth cycle, I guess, of overall percentage, right? Like it's less overall percentage, but it's still up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that only probably remains true for a certain amount of time. And we've seen, I think the fear is based on the rate at which we've seen these things improving recently, you might come pretty quickly to the time where people are just living in kind of the search interface and not going anywhere else, which on its surface is good for Google because it means like we have like a stickier ad spot. We have more time on site for like looking at our ads and our ad placement. But in actual like long-term effect is like existentially threatening to them because they need the content to exist for the website to exist and the advertising to exist and all that other stuff. Like if there's no source content, then Google doesn't exist, right? They're not interested in making content, although maybe they will be if it's strictly generative. But I, they're probably thinking about those long-term implications, but probably not super hard because everybody's also just scrambling to get shit out. <laughs> so the investors are happy with them, right? Exactly. They want to have something to release and they want to, people to start playing with it because I think their biggest fear is mostly from competition yeah. and not from the potential implications of a product like that. And there are also some moderation issues that could come up of these kind of products because when you start asking difficult questions, a chatbot can rehash some very hateful content Absolutely. that they can find on the web. I know that on Bing's implementation of this kind of chatbot, there are already some limits uh, that we could find and that uh, Frédéric Lardinois could find uh, for TechCrunch. He asked some uh, very questionable content for some very questionable content and he got what he wanted uh, which right. is not good yeah because obviously there's a ton of garbage on the web as well yeah that's when they show their immaturity relatively for all their apparent intelligence or whatever they're still quite manipulable and there's entire subreddits devoted to like trying to find exploits and break them and in the way that frederick and other people are doing right yeah, that's why they're probably going to release these kind of products for just a handful of languages at first. And even though Google is very popular in like probably like 150 languages or more, at first, Bard is only going to be available maybe in, in four or five languages. It's going to take a long time before everybody around the world uses these kind of products. Yeah, I think probably that's good. Uh, but <laughs> but we'll see if that <laughs> makes investors happy, which Google always has to be concerned with, unfortunately. But I know that you would be you will be very happy with uh, these kind of products because you have reached the end of Google. You have that's spent true. so much time searching for stuff on Google that now you need new stuff and Google will be able to provide you with new stuff. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, it's extending the internet. <laughs> I, had, I had seen all the internet and I'm very bored these days. But now we'll have new <laughs> stuff coming in. So that's exciting. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, Romain. It was great speaking to you and glad you could be there in person to see Google sweat a little bit and do a little bit of a song and dance. <laughs> merci, merci, Daryl. Next, we continue talking about how Google is trying to join the conversational AI game with Devin Coldaway. Hey, Devin, how's it going? Hey, not too bad. 
So we know that Google is feeling, I don't know, left out or kind of like maligned or just ignored. I don't know what they're feeling. They're feeling all kinds of ways about conversational AI and generative AI in general. After OpenAI has seen, you know, record engagement and tons of signups for their chat GPT product. What the heck is going on? What is Bard? And is it a good name? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Bard is a good name. And I also don't know that Google knows what it's doing or what it what it is accomplishing <laughs> with Bard because I think that this whole thing was all rushed as like a response to Microsoft and its big OpenAI ChatGPT Bing tie up which you yeah. know we'll see how that plays out but the fact is Microsoft is shipping a conversational AI as part of its search engine and you know only like I was just writing about this only 3% like 3% of search is on Bing which is higher than I expected honestly that is, yeah. <laughs> I thought DuckDuckGo was going to, which I use, I thought that was going to be higher. But uh, so Microsoft is actually shipping this and Google's like, whoa, wait a second. How come we're not shipping this? Right. The funny thing is that Google basically invented this technology and they invented it in 2017. They had this really influential paper called Attention is All You Need. Mm-hmm. And they basically invented the transformer, which is the T and GPT. And so I think they feel kind of entitled to this Right. domain. They're just like, look, we made it. You can't have it. You can't play in our sandbox. Yeah. So they do feel left out of their own playground. Yeah, I think they do feel that they're not getting enough credit, obviously, for their role in this. Because, I mean, it's mainly when we're talking about who they're feeling sensitive about, like general public, sure, but also investors, right? And that's a key ingredient. And I think one of the things we saw was, oh, it keeps coming up on investor calls from the analysts. So they're obviously paying attention. And then when Google had this event and when they did this blog post, the effect was that the market kind of like, we don't like this at all. We think it's it's not sufficient. And we think basically still, and I'm, I'm interpreting, but basically their stock price went down. So the assumption is people didn't think that they did enough to kind of counter the narrative that OpenAI and ChatGPT are somehow on, on the path to maybe usurping them eventually in search, right? Yeah, I think that that's exactly what people think. And I think they have really good reason to think that. It would be one thing if, you know, Google put out this blog post. They put it out the day before Microsoft's event. It's obviously meant to be a spoiler and be like, oh, look what we're doing. Oh, Microsoft's doing it too? But (laughs) it turns out that Google is not actually doing it. Like, they've been doing this all for the last year. They've been panic-releasing products that are a lot like what other competitors put out. I've got a whole article coming on this in a minute. You'll see. But like listeners, you'll actually be able to read this article because it will be your past. (laughs) It is our future. (laughs) It will will be in the distant past. Already a classic, (laughs) I imagine. But basically, you know, it's like Meta does something and Google's like, oh, we do that too. And OpenAI does something like Dolly too. And it's like, oh, oh, we do that. Yeah, we have one of those. (laughs) And they keep doing it. And because But they don't release it. That's the other key ingredient. They don't release it. Yeah, it's like so OpenAI puts out Dolly, Dolly 2, ChatGPT, whatever, like people can use it. They put it out there and it's got problems. They're not perfect by a long shot and you can abuse them. You can do all kinds of things, but Google hasn't put out almost anything. They've put out a few little tools and a couple cool things and and a lot of great platforms. Like I don't want to say that Google does not have a good like AI department. They've got a ton of smart people making a lot of really cool stuff. But when it comes to actual products, they've focused so much on like Google Assistant and a few other like sort of, already Google products where they're like, how can we use AI to make this 12% better? Right. Instead of like Microsoft was basically saying, 
Bing will continue to be a money hole forever and never gain any market share. Like it's dead without some kind of AI advantage. So we need to go all in yeah. and totally reinvent it. Google is, was under no pressure to do that, but all of a sudden they're seeing pressure from the industry and investors, as you noted, like investors are like, hey, are you going to stop playing catch up and start like getting out ahead of them? Right. And so they tried with this blog post, but the blog post essentially said, yep, we're yeah. working on it. Yeah, we'll, we'll have something that does that. It was very hand wavy and very kind of, Forward-looking, although they avoid any technical forward-looking statements, I guess, as they're <laughs> our public company. But yeah. yeah, it was a lot of like, here are all the things we're working on that we think are going to be great soon. Now, the argument that I've seen and the argument that you could imagine Google making is as soon as we put this stuff out there, the impact is potentially tremendous, right? Like there is a the sense that like what they're doing is like taking a more ethically responsible path and just being like, look, we can't release this stuff because right now we haven't resolved things that OpenAI doesn't seem to care that much about like the veracity of the answers returned, right? Like it's like, that's yeah. not what we're doing. I think OpenAI, I don't think they're like pretending that that's what they're doing. I think they're being very honest, but like, no, it's just meant to like generate a response that like reads as though it was written by a person. Now what's in there may or may not be true or accurate, but Google rightly is like, well, if we do that, then however many billion people who use Google as a search engine are like all of a sudden believing whatever the chatbot has generated, right? Yeah, well, and I mean, uh, I think they may have proved their own point a little too hard because the image they used to demonstrate what Bard can do had a factually inaccurate right. bullet point in it <laughs> saying that the web took the first picture of an exoplanet and everybody's like, no, it didn't. Yeah. And this is what they chose to demonstrate the thing. I think that this is like that kind of basic elementary mistake I mean, you kind of expect it from AI, but do you expect it from PR, <laughs> right. like the marketing team? You know, nobody even checked it. Like, not only did the AI make this mistake, which would, you know, you'd get a red X on it if you submitted that as if you were a kid writing a paper on mm -hmm. whatever. Like, not only did the AI make this mistake, but the team whose job it is to show what an AI can do didn't notice or didn't care enough to, like, to do something about it. So I No, they all assumed it was correct. Yeah, and, and I, like, if I was an investor... I would say, do you idiots know what you're doing over right. there? Like OpenAI is out here with like an actual product that people are using and starting to pay for. And meanwhile, you're making like grade school level errors on a blog post on something that doesn't even exist yet. Yeah. So like if I was an investor, I would be, you know, dropping, I would, I would be all over it. But of right. course I'm not because I don't know how to invest in things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is why we're here. But that also is like the demonstration of exactly what you don't want to happen, right? Is you present information authoritatively and then an audience who is probably otherwise intelligent, but not in this particular area, accepts it as fact and just kind of passes it on yeah. again as fact. It's exactly what I think the optimists are saying, like, this is why Google doesn't want to do this. And then it's like, well, they just demonstrated it in the only demonstration meant to satisfy the other critics who are like, hey, just get stuff out there. So I, I imagine internally it's got to create a lot of debate and turmoil there too. People from the academy and from the academic world who are coming into this and are probably saying like, we need responsible guide rails when we're doing this stuff. And we've seen Google at odds with those people in the past. We've oh, yeah. seen those people exit Google, yeah, right? Yeah. Or be exited. Or be exited. Exactly. Yeah. It must be really difficult for them just development wise. But why do you think that? OpenAI is able to kind of like do these things out in the open and perhaps 
receive less flack for it? Because I don't think they're like doing necessarily a much better job when it comes to stuff like that. Right? Certainly, OpenAI doesn't really have you know a bunch of other businesses and investors that it needs to satisfy and. Like if you're Google and you have, you know, top search product in the world and you want to integrate something with it, you don't want to kill the golden goose by improperly integrating AI into it. And suddenly sure. you lose, you know, billions of dollars in revenue. So they have to be wary of that kind of spoiler. But I think that OpenAI also has positioned themselves, at least sort of publicly, even though they're clearly just, you know, trying to make an enterprise service sort of SaaS thing. They've positioned themselves as an experimental company. Like they put these mm -hmm. things out there, they put the documentation out there, they open it up and they say, hey, go to town. And they warn you, they say, hey, this is not for use without supervision. Don't use right. this for anything important. This is an experiment. This is a, a you know, a, a, this is not for business purposes, blah, blah, blah. And so everybody tries it and they get all this data, all the kind of testing that you simply can't do internally. As I think Google mm -hmm. showed with this error, as Meta showed with Galactica, they failed there. And even as Microsoft showed with OpenAI in, in Bing, with like literally the day it came out, Frederick was like, oh, I can make it write something by Hitler. And then I can make it right. uh, regurgitate, what do you call it, COVID misinformation that it, it doesn't realize is disinfo. So the internal processes for testing these things are just not good enough. Right. I don't know if the companies don't know what they're doing or if the processes aren't robust enough or they're too slow, but I think OpenAI sees that and they're like, we can't do it all internally. We have to put it out in the wild. Just throw this thing into the crucible and let people wail on it. Yeah. And there are entire subreddits now, I think, devoted to that, right? Like there's a really, really rich and vibrant and active kind of like exploit mining community out there for yeah. it, which is good long term, but also kind of like makes these horror show interim things, which I guess OpenAI, because of all the reasons you listed, is like equipped to endure and survive, whereas Google would not. Like if Google did that and like everybody was like, look at Google's products and look at all the stuff that Google's products do, that would be disastrous for their reputation. Yes, I agree. Prompt engineering is what you're talking yeah. about. And it's becoming not just like a, a, you know, a sort of halo industry around AI and like, oh, here's the best way to make your, you know, an image generator produce things like uh, candy or concept art or whatever. Like that's one side of prompt engineering. And the other one is like, here's how you can make it, uh, make porn or make the the text thingy write a virus or right. something like that. You know, this kind of like illicit stuff that it's not supposed to do. But it's the equivalent of early days cybersecurity, yeah. basically. You know, you had people poking around and they're like, hey, did you know your port's open? Or like, hey, did you know you have an open, you know, database bucket or something like that? Like, this is how you find out what you're doing wrong and how to like and, and as we've established companies don't seem capable or willing to do it internally enough yeah or they don't have the ingenuity or the or the, scale. <laughs> the malice right yeah or the scale yeah. i guess yeah yeah that, I, that's very interesting i think i really like the idea it's kind of like emerged but i've never thought about it in that systems way where you're kind of like oh right now what we're seeing is there is a career or there is like a profession that is this sort of prompt engineer and you could have black hat prompt engineers you could have like prompt engineers that are for the design industry or whatever or like illustration prompt engineers like that's now a field and could become one with significant scale in future right depending on yeah how this stuff all shakes out i think so uh, yeah well i mean certainly it's an aspect it's becoming an aspect of cybersecurity because there are as AI moves beyond, you know, being used for trivial stuff or, you know, experimental stuff and it starts being mission critical, if someone can, you know, backward engineer your uh, 
AI or your prompt, you know, structure or whatever, and cause it to spew out proprietary data or make it seem like your company is, you know, doing something it's not. Like, there's lots of opportunities for risk and loss there, and they need to be they need to be addressed systematically and professionally, not just by yeah. a subreddit. And I think that that profession, it will be weird, but that'll be like a profession soon, like you said. Yeah. If it isn't already, I'm sure that there are some people, but they don't just say, hey, I, I just try to screw with chat GPT all day. Right. But that's what it amounts to. And that's what you're going to need if chat GPT is going to become a real live product. Wow. I, I actually kind of love this idea because I feel like it's a blend of skill sets that perhaps puts more emphasis and like returns power to us <laughs> like to to a liberal arts education background class of people because it's like what are you oh i'm a person who speaks things into being and then <laughs> i don't need to know how to code somewhat somewhat wishful thinking i think but <laughs> probably so probably so it's but, like professional robot kicker <laughs> Uh, well, anyways, I think, yeah, it's going to be a knockdown drag out fight between the biggest powers in tech, right? Like yeah, we absolutely. haven't even really seen it. We haven't talked about Amazon. I think we have some stuff in the works about how Amazon has kind of missed a boat on a lot of this stuff or is just being quiet about what they're doing, but there's, well, they also, they invested heavily in, in Alexa, which is not AI. It's, you right. know, these things are all just, just front ends for web hooks and APIs and stuff like that. They appear to be intelligent because they have a voice and they talk to you, but they're not AIs. I mean, in the sense that we like to call things AIs. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're going to have to make a move and yeah, Google's going to have to continue making moves and everybody's going to have to do it. Apple too. Right. And we, again, there's just like Siri and there's just like, it's like Alexa. It's like, yeah, great. Yeah. And everybody's kind of like, oh my God, there's an actual AI out there now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there, it's not yeah. faking it. And then it'll kill us all, of course. Yeah, well, you. you know, I mean, it was either, either you know, one of these big companies was going to kill us. So, uh, you know, if, if it has to be somebody, I guess I'm glad it's Microsoft, our old friend. <laughs> That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can read all the stories we talked about at TechCrunch.com. TechCrunch Early Stage is coming up on April 20th in Boston. You can use code TCPOD, that's all one word, for 40% off founder and investor passes. And as always, check out all the other TC podcasts, including Found, Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. We'll be back next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.